This is Health Dose, a podcast where we talk about topics important to your health and well-being. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Today, in part two of our conversation with Dr. Sarah Diaz, colorectal surgeon, we tackle two much misunderstood conditions called diverticulosis and diverticulitis. Health Dose asks Sarah to explain the difference between the two. This is a very important distinction, and it's actually one of the probably first lessons that med students learn is the difference between the two. So diverticulosis references the diverticuli are small outpouchings that develop over time in the colon. They look like little pockets hanging off of the colon. Diverticulitis is what we call it when the outpouchings become inflamed, which can lead to infection, it can lead to bowel perforation. A lot of patients have diverticulosis. 70% of the population at the age of 70 has diverticulosis. That does not mean that any of those patients will ever necessarily have diverticulitis. And as far as what causes diverticulitis, if we could figure out exactly who's at risk for diverticulitis, I wouldn't have to work for my Michigan anymore. Right. Diverticulosis, is it wear and tear? Is that what it yeah. is? It's wear and tear. The data revolving around diverticulosis and what causes the actual outpouchings of the colon is a little soft, but we know that a low fiber diet likely contributes to the outpouchings forming. The outpouchings happen at the areas of the colon where basically the wall is weak at those spots. And so a low fiber diet or constipation, if you think about it, you're constantly squeezing on a tube. Anywhere there's a weakness in the wall, you're gonna get these little bulges or these outpouchings. And that's what diverticulosis is. Typically it happens on the left side of the colon or the sigmoid colon. That's the most common place for diverticuli to form, but you can get it throughout your entire colon. Help me out with the interior structure. I'm trying to remember my high school biology. Aren't there little structures inside? What, what, what does the inside of a colon look like? Depends on where you are in the colon. But the inside of the colon is actually very smooth. There's a mucosa and there's mm -hmm. different layers of the bowel wall. But the diverticuli form actually in a relationship to where the blood supply to the colon is. So when you look at the inside of the colon, grossly using your eye, all you're going to see is smoothness. You're going to see the mucosa of the mm. colon. But the weakest part of the colonic wall is an area between where the blood supply enters the colon. And at this point, that's the most common area for the outpouchings to develop. And the problem is where these outpouchings occur you get stuff built up in there, right? Yes. So, and this is where diverticulitis gets a little mysterious, mm -hmm. okay? Because I'm sure we've all heard the no nuts, no seeds theory of diverticulosis. Yeah, and I love my nuts and seeds. <laughs> and they've actually done some pretty good studies that show that nuts and seeds in moderation are completely fine, even if you have diverticulosis. The thought was these nuts and seeds would end up in these pouches and they couldn't get out of the outpouchings and they would somehow turn into infection and inflammation. Now, diverticulitis happens when these outpouchings become inflamed, but it's not clear exactly why they become inflamed. And I've certainly done enough colonoscopies where patients will do a great prep and everything will look great and I'll journey by a diverticuli and I can see stool stuck inside the diverticuli. But the patient doesn't have diverticulitis, and maybe they've never even had diverticulitis. And the stool may stay there for a long period of time. It may always be there, or it may come in and go out and be on its merry way. So there is still a bit of mystery behind diverticulitis. But we know it exists. We know it causes problems. If somebody has diverticulitis, what's the fear that it may develop into? 
when we think about diverticulitis, we think about complicated versus uncomplicated diverticulitis. So uncomplicated diverticulitis is when those outpouchings become inflamed. And at that point, a lot of patients will have maybe some pain, maybe fevers, not feeling well. And actually, there's a new school of thought that uncomplicated diverticulitis with no evidence of perforation, no fistula formation, these patients can actually be treated without antibiotics, which is a completely different frame Hmm. of mind. Because it used to be, "Ah, I'm having left lower quadrant pain, I call my PCP, I get put on antibiotics. As long as patients don't have a fever, don't have a high white blood cell count, which their doctor can check through basic lab work, a lot of these patients can actually be managed without antibiotics. There's a lot of patients who've probably been managing their diverticulitis without antibiotics on their own without even realizing it. I don't know how often I'll see a patient in the office and they'll say, you know, I get diverticulitis. I know when it happens. I know what foods to avoid when I have a flare up and I back off on my diet and I'm fine in a few days. Mm. And that's a perfectly okay way to treat it as long as you're not having a high heart rate, fevers, and, you know, there's no evidence of perforation if someone were to get a CAT scan to look at the abdomen. But if somebody has an infection in that part of the body, the first thing I would think of is you want to get antibiotics to that area. Where's the school of thought that you would not use antibiotics in that circumstance? So what it comes from is they're not sure that it's an actual infection. They think it's more of an inflammatory response. So the diverticuli becomes inflamed. Your gut always has bacteria in it. I don't know how common knowledge that is, but your gut is full of bacteria. And so it's not that there's new bacteria that's all of a sudden in this diverticula. So the school of thought behind not using antibiotics is that this isn't an actual infection. It's more of an inflammation of that diverticula. Now, at the point when it becomes an infection is the point where that little outpouching bursts and you get what's called perforation. Now, perforation comes in many forms. We have local perforation where the outpouching bursts and you might get a little bit of stool or pus sitting right adjacent to the colon. And it can go all the way up to a diverticular bursting and having actual stool throughout your abdomen, which is a surgical emergency. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole spectrum of complicated diverticulitis. And when I say complicated, that's when we're talking about perforation or fistula formation. You said some of your patients actually know when they're having a flare-up. What are the symptoms of a flare-up? Most common is left lower quadrant pain. I had mentioned earlier the most common place to get diverticulosis is in the sigmoid colon on the left side. Mm -hmm. So most patients will start having some pain down there. They might have some fevers, some chills, maybe maybe some nausea. Sometimes diverticulitis causes your small bowel to actually stop working, and you might start getting backed up and start feeling nauseated, and you may even throw up. If it gets to that point, that's when I would encourage you to call your primary care doctor, and the most likely thing that they will do is order a CAT scan or a CT scan to look at your abdomen. And we don't actually know what causes diverticulosis? So diverticulosis in theory, is probably from a low-fiber diet and from constipation. Okay. But there are plenty of people I know who follow a vegetarian diet and have fantastic bowel habits Mm -hmm. who still end up with diverticulosis. Right. So that's why, at the end of the day, the formation of diverticulosis, it's sort of one of those things where if you live long enough, you're probably going to have a diverticular too. Sure. But, But I guess, would it be safe to say that if you're doing the right stuff with your diet, high fiber, low fat, avoiding sugars and that kind of stuff, you should be doing the best you can for your circumstances. Absolutely. And just making sure you're not straining on the toilet, constipation, Mm -hmm. uh, avoiding constipation, 
good bowel habits, those, I would say, if we're trying to reduce our risk of forming diverticuli, following those kind of principles are going to put you in the best shape. Yeah, probably I'm going to have to give up popcorn too. No, popcorn's okay. Popcorn is fine. Okay. I will say getting back to the nuts and seeds because that is the most common question that I get. Yeah. I have diverticulosis. Can I eat nuts and seeds? Yes, you can eat nuts and seeds. If you know, however, that there is a food that triggers your diverticulitis, I have patients who who know that when they eat X, Y, or Z, it just causes their colon to flare up. Mm -hmm. At that point, you know your body better than anyone. I would continue to avoid those foods. Mm -hmm. Moving back to the antibiotics, is there ever a concern that using antibiotics to treat a gut problem is going to reduce the flora that's in there that you really want? Because some of that bacteria is good. Right. Absolutely. And so that is why... It's sort of groundbreaking to think about treating diverticulitis without antibiotics. So many people have probably heard of C. diff or C. difficile. It is a bad bacteria that can colonate in the gut and cause a super infection. And it's most commonly seen in the hospital setting in patients who've had antibiotics. And so you're absolutely right. Antibiotics can wipe out the good gut flora And then we can get these super infections with things like C. diff, which can go in and basically take over. Mm -hmm. That probably leads into the next big thing people ask about, which is probiotics. Right. Can I repopulate my gut? Are you even going to talk to me about that as a medical doctor? (laughs) So the data, once again, is all over the map as far as probiotics go. I would say that my opinion on probiotics is they will not hurt you. I would not spend lots of money on them. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking to repopulate your gut, things like yogurt that have active cultures in them, something like Activia, is a good way to go about doing it. Kombucha? Yes, kombucha, absolutely. Uh, For that matter, sauerkraut? Yep, yep, absolutely. Kimchi? Anything pickled? (laughs) Yes, I totally agree with this. I'm a big fan of getting things a natural way if possible. And I also think that there is nothing about your gut health that should cost a lot of money. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when we get into fiber and things like probiotics, you should not be spending hundreds of dollars a month trying to have the best gut health possible. Following a healthy diet and trying to get um, fiber and cultures in your diet, live active cultures, which are found in yogurt, in a natural way is probably the best way to go about. Now, I do want to address the antibiotics, that there is a role for antibiotics in diverticulitis. I think that's important. Patients who have perforated diverticulitis, which we had spoke about when the little diverticuli perf and we get pus outside of the colon, this is a role for antibiotics. And often this requires you coming into the hospital and spending a few days with us and getting actual IV antibiotics. And sometimes, too, a pus pocket can form outside the colon that may require a radiologist to put a drain in to drain the pus. Mm -hmm. And that is very common in the hospital setting for that to happen. And it's not a bad thing because it means you avoid having to do surgery to remove the pus to get better. Right. But I guess the point is that your colon, your gut is set up to handle a lot of stuff that you don't want outside of that. Absolutely. That That's the real big deal with the perforation. Absolutely. Is once it gets outside, then we're talking yep. a whole nother set of problems. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. that's the major distinction there. At what point do I know that I need to see a doctor about my diverticulosis? I would say if you've never been diagnosed with diverticulitis and you start to have symptoms of left lower quadrant pain, we mentioned nausea, vomiting, fever, chills, just general malaise, 
call your PCP. They will order lab work. They will likely order a CAT scan. They may recommend, based on your symptoms, that you go to the ER, depending on if it's the weekend or after hours. And I have seen patients who think that it's just a regular run-of-the-mill diverticulitis, and we get a CAT scan, and there's a large fluid collection outside the colon, and they end up spending a week in the hospital. So I would recommend, especially in the beginning, if you've never been diagnosed with diverticulitis, to call your primary care doctor, have the full workup. You know, if you've been dealing with diverticulitis for 10 years, you know your body and you want to play the game of, okay, it's flaring up a little bit. I'm going to back off and and my diet and see if I can get better. That's probably okay. But ultimately, fevers, chills, nausea, vomiting, left lower quadrant pain, those are reasons to call your PCP. Sarah Diaz, DO, is a colorectal surgeon and a member of the comprehensive cancer team at My Michigan Health. This team includes medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, specialized surgeons, interventional radiologists, as well as nursing navigators. Dr. Diaz is fellowship trained in colon and rectal surgery and board certified in general surgery. If you have concerns about your health, the best place to start, as always, is your primary care provider. If you need help finding a primary care provider, go to mymichigan.org doctors. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Thank you so much for listening. Check back again soon for another episode of Health Dose.